Hello and welcome to the Flex. I'm Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. This podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. Also, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download the app, and use the code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. Get that code right down there. It's on the bottom. It does work. I've used it, so I recommend it. Joe, you're back from Mohegan Sun now. Not uh, not the best weekend. Not the weekend we thought we were going to get. No, not at all. I am exhausted. I am down a lot of money. And Providence is riding a two-game skid into Thanksgiving week. So morale is through the ceiling right now. That's sarcastic. Yeah, it's that... <laughs> that, that definitely could have gone better. For the Friars, they lose on Saturday to Miami in a game that uh, started close and then very much wasn't from there on out. They lost 74-64. That set up a meeting with St. Louis. They had a, a second half lead there, led by as many as 13 before falling 76-73. Basically a one-point game the way that ended up playing out before the last possession. Two teams there that received AP Top 25 votes last week. I don't know if they're going to end up. I don't think St. Louis is going to end up in the polls. Uh, Miami got killed by Maryland. So of all these teams, Maryland may be the one that actually ends up in the top 25 after all of this. But certainly all four teams here are ones that are expected to be playing in March. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you're right. I think Maryland has the best resume out of the 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 group of four to be ranked next week. Obviously we have the worst, but um, Miami and St. Louis are tournament teams. I think that is clear cut. And I think if Providence can figure it out, we should also be a tournament team. Um, I was texting you after the game in my fit of fury, as I always do after Providence loses. And I said that this weekend reminded me of the weekend in the 2019-2020 season when we lost to Long Beach State, followed by Carl College of Charleston. Before anybody starts, you know, typing the Twitter fingers, like, what are you talking about? Not in the quality of the loss, but in the feeling of these are teams that we played with and could have and should have beat. If you're up 13 on St. Louis with 11 minutes to go in the second half, you should win that game. If you're playing with Miami and they're just more athletic than you, Okay, that's fine. You, I can swallow that pill. But that's a game that you have potential to win. Um, so I, it feels the same way because it sucks. It's right before Thanksgiving and it's back-to-back losses. And in the losses, you know, you learn like, okay, we can play with these types of teams. So that's why, to me, it stings a little bit and it's reminiscent of that weekend. But it, otherwise, you know, it, it, it's just it sucks. I hate losing. Um, hate losing is, before is Thanksgiving. Yeah. This is the yeah. first time the Friars have lost consecutive non-conference games since that tournament you referenced, the Long Beach State and Charleston games. So yeah, there's a reason why that feels so familiar. Even that 2020-2021 team that struggled, they managed to get a win in the middle of their tournament where they really, the, the Maui Invitational in North Carolina, they managed <laughs> to grab a win in the middle of that one. Yeah. So yeah, disappointed. I think the hard part, is that somebody had to lose two games in this tournament and the Friars deserved to lose two games in this tournament the way they played. Yeah. Yeah. Neither one of these losses really bothers me in a vacuum. It shouldn't bother me as much that they came back to back, especially when it comes this early in the season, but it never feels good. Uh, Game one against Miami was one where the athleticism of the Friars, I just, it did not translate. They no. looked a less athletic team, and that's worrying, I think. And then mm-hmm. game against St. Louis is one where they should have been the more athletic team. I mean, they looked like it for parts, but they were not the better mental team. And yeah, this Friars team is not is just not good enough to not have it mentally. Like they're not physically gifted enough to not have it mentally, <laughs> and they're not. Mentally gifted enough to not have it physically. They're just kind of in the middle for both. 
funny you say that about the the physical and the mental connection um my girlfriend was sitting next to me tonight at the game and she says you know what's funny is i'm watching them get back on defense and it just looks slow athletically slow and cognitively slow they're not picking up on where their man is they're not picking up on any switches or there was one point it was in the first half and providence got back on d and Hopkins was in the paint and Croswell kind of shoved him out to the wing to his man. Like, I think that's like a microcosm of the defensive performance we saw this weekend. You know, uh, guys are still learning. Uh, keep in mind, these are five guys that besides uh, obviously Bynum and Croswell played together last year. But for the sake of the argument, these are five guys that haven't played together f- before for consistent periods of time. And right now, three games under your belt, you're asking them to string together two defensive performances that are going to keep you in the conversation uh, against three really good opponents, potentially three really good opponents. So I think cognitively, there's a lot of cleanup left to do. Um, Physically, you know, we have the potential to be there and play with these guys and run up and down the floor like St. Louis did to us tonight. I just think you need the cognitive aspect to get there first, and then the physical stuff will follow suit. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And it's, when you aren't all there mentally and you aren't locked in, you aren't playing as well together, you're going to play slower as well. That's just yeah. a thing across boards. If you got to think before you act, you're not going to be as fast as the guy across from you. Yep. Um, I think that was apparent at times against Miami. Uh, one of the things that Ed Cooley pointed out was the Hurricanes had only seven assists on 27 made baskets. That means that they're not passing into stuff they're just beating you off the dribble time and time and time again. And part of that came in transition. Part of that came with the second chance points that Miami was getting. But it's this, uh, for for being such an athletic dude and for being able to force as many turnovers as Devin Carter can be able to produce, he does look, he's had more issues staying in front of people than I anticipated from somebody of his ability. I think it was back-to-back defensive uh, possessions tonight. Maybe it wasn't back-to-back, but they were certainly close to one another where Devin Carter lost his man and had to foul him. And it wasn't wasn't an intentional foul. It was just like, you're faster than me, so I'm grabbing onto your arm kind of foul. And it was like a blatant – it was blatantly like he's gassed and can't keep up with him. And it was kind of sloppy. Like it's just calling it what what, what it is. It was very sloppy. So I'm really glad you brought that up because Carter's supposed to be this defensively efficient player, and we're not making the argument that he's not, but you can see some of the inefficiencies here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's we knew that this weekend was going to be a really good test of Providence as guards. We thought the, that all five looked good uh, in the first couple of games, especially against Stonehill, as they should against an opponent of that level. Then you go against these guys, and they were just overmatched. I mean, I think – there were points where all three guards who start looked like they were a liability on the floor. Guy, you just could not put out there, and yeah, not great. Noah Locke did not look like himself tonight. I mean, he went. Oh, I'm just pulling up the box score. <laughs> two for seven from was... three. Yeah. Two for ten from the field with only six points. If you're going to win a basketball game, it, that's got to be better. And I know. And he's... I know he is our sharpshooter and he fits. I think he, he has a nice stroke that that's not going to cut it. Not, not against teams like this, not against teams in biggies play against Ryder. Maybe you get by against Northeastern. Maybe you get by yeah. tonight well, and last night. doesn't work. And Noah Lonk is a guy who quite frankly does not give you a whole lot outside of shooting. He's not no. a huge guy. He's not going to create a ton off the dribble. He's a reasonably high effort player and he, he's oh, not yeah. like a massive liability at the defensive end or anything like that he's just a little bit undersized not the quickest dude for his size either and it stands out sometimes so yeah. when he doesn't shoot it's hard to put him out there and right now they got they're starting three guards that can't shoot bottom has completely lost his touch from deep and carter has never been a shooter and lock is ice cold as of late i mean he's in today against st louis in particular and if your guards can't shoot, you're going to be in a world of hurt no matter what. Yeah, that that's for sure. Uh, I mean, I know he had 14 last night and 15 tonight. 
but quite honestly, Jared Bynum looks like a shell of what he was last season. And maybe 15 points on 16 field goal attempts is not an accomplishment. <laughs> Neither is 14 <laughs> on 12. No, I, I mean, you, you take right like at face value, you're like, oh, he scored in double figures. You break it down a little more, you're like, okay, that's not nearly as efficient as he used to be. And maybe it's because we're looking at it in a condensed lens of conference play, which is really when he lit it up. But mm-hmm. he's a shell of what he was last season. I think taking on more responsibility and more ownership of the point guard role has resulted in this. Because if you remember last year, there were times when Durham ran point and Bynum played off the ball. And now Bynum is primarily playing on the ball. And on a night when your backup point guard, Alan Breed, isn't playing and Pierre is only playing in the first half, you know, that's a tough ask for Bynum to, you know, be one of our primary scorers, but to also set the table for everyone else. That's a lot to do for a point guard. Yeah. No, it, it absolutely is. And he is, he's kind of struggled shooting the three ball for a, a little bit now. This goes back to before, um, but it goes back to last February, really the end of last February. He had a rough shooting day um, against Creighton in the game ended up giving the Big East, the, cha- the Friars, the Big East championship last year. It was something mm-hmm. that kind of flew under the radar in that game because we were all yeah. obviously so excited about that. And he had seven assists, so he, he didn't have a bad game. We didn't really shoot the ball that well, and he has not found his stroke since then. From that Creighton game through the Miami one, uh, sports reference does not have today's stats up yet. He shot 23.7% from deep, which is more, more in line with his career numbers before last February as well. And it, what I, my big concern here is that the Jared Bynum we saw in February was a Jared Bynum who got hot for a month. And the real player is the one that we've seen for all of the other weeks he's been in Providence. I also think it's a lot easier to get hot in a month when everyone else around you is doing well. I think Mm -hmm. the point you just made about Bynum's poor shooting performance flying under the radar during that Creighton game is a microcosm of this because during that Creighton game, Reeves was hot, Durham was hot, Watts, like all the seniors were shining. So it's okay for Bynum to slip under the radar. But right now, no one else is shining other than really Bryce Hopkins offensively. And now Bynum is, is it's glaring that, you know, the threes aren't falling as consistently as we thought they were. Yeah. And it's, uh, he's, he doesn't have a single game with more than two, three pointers made since that uh, Xavier three overtime game. And in the month of February, he hit two or more in every single game. In February, he was four for five, seven of eight, four of eight, two of five, two of five, five of ten from deep. That, that is not necessarily sustainable, but the pace he's hit at lately is also too like that's too low. You don't need him to be a 50% three point shooter. You need at least 33, 34% from him, maybe 35%. That's in the range where you need he's, your, he's supposed to be your secondary scorer as a guard. Uh, so at least secondary perimeter score. And if your secondary perimeter score is shooting below 30%, you're in a really rough spot. So tonight he took five threes. He was 0 for 5. Last night he was 1 for 7. If you can get him going like 3 for 7 on a given night, I think that's an improvement from what we're seeing now. 2 for 5, 3 for 7, that's about the range you would like him to be in consistently. Yeah. And if if that's what you get, if he if he hit two threes against St. Louis, that's Friars, game. Friars might win that game. If he hit three of them instead of just the one against Miami, it's a much closer game. It's, these these are close enough games that individual baskets start to matter a lot more, especially the St. Louis one. You know what I will say, and this is kind of more of a positive takeaway. Yeah. We were given 20 opportunities at the free throw line tonight, and we made all 20. And I yeah. saw it throughout the game. And for anyone who's been in Mohegan Sun, they have the wraparound um, LED banner that shows the live stats. There was a point, I think we were 11 for 11. And I was like, okay, like that's pretty good. But I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want uh, the announcer's jinx. 17 for 17. I'm like, I'm like flirting with it in my head. I'm like, ooh, we're going to go perfect <laughs> from the line, but someone's going to miss a free throw. Game over, obviously, 
pissed that we lost, you know, officials walking away with some dollars in their pocket from Travis Ford. But I w- that's a good thing that you made 20 free throws. Like for what from given what we saw a week ago to what we're seeing now at the free throw line, that's severe improvement. That's coaching. That's practice. Yeah. That's repetition. And I think most importantly, usually if you're a good free throw shooter, eventually the shots from the field will start to fall. And that's where I do think part of the issue with just shooting in general lately is the offense is not has not come together. Like no. guys are missing shots in rhythm that they shouldn't be missing, but they also are not taking enough shots in rhythm. Guys aren't moving the way they should be. Guys aren't connected. It, it seems like what's happening on one half of the court is not in sync with what's happening on the other half too, just with the way the guys are cutting and, it almost seems like there's a side with three guys and there's a side with two guys. And each of them has a point man that that'll run with the action on that side. And it's like, all right, well that doesn't really get us anywhere. <laughs> there's a, there's a point in time tonight where Bynum is trying to get a screen from Croswell. And it was mm-hmm. literally like the two of them at the top of the block. Like, like just Croswell's not setting the screen the right way. And Bynum's not moving the ball the right way, but the other three players didn't move. They just didn't move. So I don't know if this was an ISO pick and for two of them, but whatever was happening, it was definitely it was definitely exactly what you just said, where you had two players doing something and three players doing something completely different. And it, some some of the sets tonight were, were just infuriating. I, like it, the the final play of the game, like so our, our that's how we're gonna win the game is we're gonna have Bynum tuck it and run through two gigantic forwards like a running back and well, get tackled right and not called. Well, and yeah, and we'll talk about the officiating later. But I think part of that too is the offense got kind of predictable at points. Like, yeah, you the, the long shots weren't falling. You knew they only needed a two, so you kind of knew they were going to get somebody coming at the basket. And the second you got a guard away from the rim, it's all right. Well, he's probably coming downhill here, so they weren't going to respect any of the other actions. They know we got to protect the rim, yeah. and and that's why there wasn't a lot of space. I will. I I just went through and researched this because I was curious. As far as I can tell, that's only the second time under Ed Cooley, Cooley the Friars have been perfect at the line. Really? If you, it, from what I can tell, this is from a quick little sports reference search. If you can guess the other game, I will be very, very impressed. We were perfect from the line. Yeah. It's a, it's a home game. It was a non-conference game. It was while we were at PC. Can you give me a year? What year is this? We were uh, students, right? Yeah. The 17-18 the season. Non-conference at home. Give me a second. 17-18? It's not Minnesota, is it? No, that's a good guess. That. Uh, you, want the, you want the answer? Wait, let me look at the slate quick. Just let me look at that schedule. Yeah. I won't look I won't look at the stats, I swear. I can list the games for you if you want. Yeah, let's do that. And I'll pick it I'll All pick right. it out. The home games. Uh, Houston Christian, Minnesota, Belmont, BC, Ryder, Brown, Stony Brook. And BC. Sacred Heart. BC. No, not BC. Damn, 0 for two. Yeah. I'll give you one more guess. It wasn't that first game blowout, was it? The no. one that was in Alumni Hall. It was the game against Belmont, which I remember. If I remember correctly, Kyron had a buzzer beater. In That's that the one. buzzer beater game. Yeah, I All missed right. that game too. I didn't get to go to that one. I had a project to do the next day. That was the buzzer beater game. I believe wasn't so, that Thanksgiving yeah. Eve. I thought Belmont that was game? a Thanksgiving. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm wrong here. Let me do. Let me dig into this. Anyway, if let's, while I research this, um, I think Ed Croswell. I think. Well, we're talking about guys who returned and have not been as good as we hoped. Ed Croswell. I think the last two games had some really, really, really rough moments. So, against Miami, two points on one of three shooting, with six rebounds. A block, a steal, a turnover in 20 minutes of playing time. That is um, what we call in the industry not good. <laughs> to use tonight, a technical term. To, 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 to get technical on you guys. Tonight, 
11 points, 10 rebounds, 4 of 10 from the field, perfect from the stripe, one turnover, two blocks. It doesn't feel like he played that way tonight. Not at all. Um, something that was really bugging me about Croswell is he did not look ready for any passes. One. Two. Uh, you got to stop hitting the deck with the with the power dribbles when you get it in the paint. You get a pass here, you go right up with it. I'm five foot ten, like, and uh, you've played basketball with me. I play bigger than I should. I, even I know you don't take it. You don't hit the deck with a power dribble in that situation. He does it every damn time, and yep. then he turns the ball over every yeah. damn time. It's far. He does not look like a very strong player right now physically. No. He doesn't play with that size, and it's. I know we have we've had our issues with him. We've criticized him, but if you want an example of an undersized center who knows how to make it work in the Big East, Eric Dixon, he's been incredibly efficient, a very productive player in his college career. Because while he's smaller, he knows how to use his size, and you very rarely see him actually get trapped with the basketball or have issues with the ball under the hoop. You really didn't see issues with it for Croswell for the most part the last couple of years either. This is kind of a new thing for him. And maybe that comes with him being the focal point, not the focal point, but a focal point in the offense now instead of a guy who came off the bench. But Dixon's a guy who just is able to make things work in a way Croswell isn't. I don't know if he needs to throw on that film at any point, but he's an undersized sender who plays like it. And it doesn't need to look like that. The difference between Dixon and Croswell, I think, is Dixon stepped into a starting role earlier than Croswell. Like last season, Dixon had had his his ups, but he really had his downs too. Um, yeah. I I think the one thing advantage Croswell is Croswell's better in tight spaces under the rim. Shout out Terry Sullivan than Eric Dixon. If you put Eric Dixon against Adama Sonogo or Ryan Kalkbrenner, Dixon's losing that battle. Croswell will, is likely going to lose that battle too, but he has a little bit more finesse against bigger guys. That's the one nod that I'll give him. Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that is that Eric Dixon knows he's not going to win some of those and takes this game away from the rim and is able to win in some other ways that we haven't really seen Croswell do it. Croswell doesn't take the threes. He's not going to – he plays no. – even though his size says he should be a four, he plays the five and really doesn't step out all that often. You know what's interesting? Great point is anytime you see Croswell and Clifton Moore on the floor at the same time, Croswell plays the five and Clifton Moore, who's six foot eleven – plays the four. I, I I find that fascinating because Clifton Moore is better it, defensively in the paint. It's all about skill sets. Now. And I think that's where Clifton Moore, I think was a little bit disappointing for me the last couple games. Yeah. He's not bad, but he just, he looks overmatched. He looks like an A-10 play. Like, I think, I think it, this is, what is it? Croswell, Clifton Moore, Jared Bynum are all guys who got their start in the A-10. And at various points this weekend, they looked like A-10 players going against power conference players in ability and in talent and skill. Uh, obviously, I, they're not locked into that because we've seen them play better than that. It's prob- I, hopefully for the Friars, just a one weekend thing for them. But I mean, Moore had two blocks against Miami. And yet somehow it felt like every time they drove on him, didn't really matter that his arm was up. They were shooting around him without an issue. I will say, I think Clifton Moore looked a little bit better defensively tonight, at least from, you know, not maybe, maybe not in the box sheet, but there were times when St. Louis was pounding into him and he held his feet firm and they missed a couple of back-to-back lay, like hook attempts on him. I, th- I think he disrupts paint defense. Tonight, he only played 11 minutes, which I think is an issue. If you're going to be successful down the line, him and Croswell got to split at least 20-20 apiece. Or if you want to get fancy with it, play him at the same time. But you need Clifton Moore on the floor a little bit more than you did tonight and last night. I think that is a reason why we lost. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he holds his own defensively. Obviously, you know, sample size is a little weird because he looked like a superstar against these mid-major teams, and now he's playing power conference opponents. And looking a little different so i think you're right there, there's a little bit of a litmus test there for him which i think he'll grow through but if you want if for us as fans and spectators if we want to be more satisfied with clifton more we need to see him on the floor more in situations like this especially when croswell's not giving you his best go um even what's his name rafael castro he got 
he he was off of the bench before Clifton Moore tonight, which I thought was surprising. Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, and I know we had said before this tournament we didn't think we were going to see a lot of Castro, and no, we we saw more than I thought we would. Mm-hmm. And he looks he looks like the same player. Real nice flashes, but not finishing the plays, which yeah is good. It's like it's he's a de- he's a really athletic guy, and it's like all right, he looks like a Big East athlete in a lot of ways. He clearly has yeah. Big East skills. He's still putting it together. Yep. Um. So yeah, and we'll see. It's this takes time. I know Ed Cooley is not pleased with where this group is right now. Um, no. I think this team probably does have some flaws that it may struggle to work <laughs> out of too. Like. <laughs> It's, oh, obviously this team has flaws. I, I, I was I gonna say I, I think I think that's a, a definite. I don't, I don't think that's a up for yeah. question. Though I think the bigger concern is uh, how it can address some of these flaws. I think some of this is easily fixable, even that if the offense starts working better, I think some of the shooting from the guards will just come naturally as a result of that. Um, no. And I obviously it isn't all bad. Both of these games were competitive, especially the St. Louis one. They had leads at various points in both of them. It, it isn't all bad. We're all this no. isn't one of these guys are bad players. It's this team feels very mediocre at this moment, and mediocre in a Big East that does not look that strong through two and a half weeks here uh, is not going to get you into the dance. You got to be a little bit better. Plenty of opportunities here to get better and then show that you're better. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're also in a spot where the Friars might need to win eleven or twelve Big East games to get an invite to the dance instead of nine or ten. Yeah. Again, depending on how things work out here. Uh Bryce Hopkins too is like he's an interest. I thought I thought he played his best basketball of the season today against St. Louis. Thought he looked really rough against Miami at certain points. And it's just it's the turnovers. And I think there's Six. a mindset. Yeah, six made field goals, six turnovers against Miami. That's not going to get it done. No. He looked more assertive today, though. He looked more engaged mentally, which I was happy to see. When I made the comment about how you play slower if mentally you're not all there and you're still figuring it out, it looked like he figured it out and played like a more athletic player today against St. Louis. Part of that, probably the level of athleticism at St. Louis there with the Billikens. I couldn't go this whole podcast without singing Billikens. I don't even, what, what is a Billiken? Is it like a play on Pelican? No, no, it's not at all. I think it's a doll. Um, but yeah, it's just it. I was it was refreshing to see him start to take over a little bit and play really well. For as much as we've talked about the legacy Providence has with guards and the centers that have been at the the center of Ed Cooley offenses for a couple of years now, the hallmark of an Ed Cooley team is having a stretch four or three, a forward of some kind, a wing guy who can basically give you a little bit of everything. That's been the bread and butter. Chris yeah. Dunn isn't what he is without Ben Bentle down there helping him out. Cartwright isn't what he is without Bullock down there. Emmett Holt. Um, that, yeah, and that, that team in 2020 isn't what it is without really good minutes from Alpha Diallo and Khalif Young kind of doing a lot of that stuff. And this goes back to before those teams too. Uh, it's, it's been a longstanding thing. That yeah. Ed Cooley teams arrived off of a guy in that spot. Hopkins showed, I think, the best glimpse we've seen of that against a quality opponent today. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Hopkins is so. There, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. This has been a long weekend, so <laughs> excuse my uh, my mushy brain. But Hopkins is the kind of guy where it's like that. You look at him in the preseason, and you're like. This is him. He he's gonna he's gonna be that guy. He's gonna be one of those household names uh, among the Friar faithful. Where it's like, he's the guy. So far, he's lived up to that expectation. I think of Greg Gant as another person who did not live up to that expectation. He logged a majority of the minutes at the four spot. That this hybrid position that we're talking about in the 2020 2021 season, and that team was not great. So I think well, yeah. I think you're right where, you know, this is the this is the, the person you have to build the squad around. And I think Hopkins is, is living up to the role nicely because even in a night like last night against Miami where he didn't play great. Oh, that's the wrong box score. Sorry. <laughs> Too many he box scores. I have so many tabs open right now. Yeah, he was the he didn't play. 
and he flirted with a double double. He had eight rebounds. So if his if his floor right now is six turnovers, sixteen points, eight rebounds, that's promising. That's real promising. I get. I think. I think the the real push here for Hopkins doesn't come from the stats as much as it does from the mentality and the way the offense runs. Um, like there were, we all saw the games Alpha Diallo had, where you at the end of the game you're like, he had 15 points and 10 rebounds. I feel like I didn't even notice him out there because yeah. of just where he's getting the looks and everything. And to an extent, Hopkins has had some of those too. We also remember the games where Diallo was able to take over the offense, drive to the basket really well, pick his shots, make some plays happen on defense. That's what they need. And you talk about Greg Gant and how he struggled. You know, you uh, we all know what turned the Friars around after that. They found their four in Noah Horkler. Noah Horkler. Once yep. he actually found his game in the games where he was good in that 2020-21 season were the games where the Friars played really well. They need that yep. guy to step up. I think the next step for that is – Hopkins needs to show he can hit 20 points. He needs to show he can call his shots. He needs to yeah. show that he the offense can run through him and then he'll pass out to other people. I agree. I totally, totally agree. Um, side note, I met Bryce Hopkins last night in the lobby of Mohegan Sun. He's a really nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. Just wanted to point that out and took a picture with him. <laughs> he, he's he's a nice guy. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. They, they all seem like good guys. It coolly seems to know how to pick them for the most part. Yeah. I think, too, I, I just wanted to take a bird's view, look at this weekend it, from a human standpoint, not a, a box sheet or basketball. Like, this is the first time that these guys are playing outside of Rhode Island this season. Keep in mind, like, first three home games, first three games of the season were home games against Bunnies. Um, even, like, I get it, it's 45 minutes from Providence, but... This isn't the Biltmore in downtown Providence where you're spending the night at the hotel and then you're going back to your dorm. Like, this is the first time they've taken a, a not a true road trip, but a, a trip away from home. And I think it yeah. showed. Um, so you, you cut them a little slack because they are college students in that respect. Um, but you know what? It, it, it still sucks to lose. And I think Cooley holds this team to a higher standard than what we saw. And I thought that was reflected in his post-game press conference tonight. If you haven't watched it yet, it's six minutes, but it's really efficient. Like, he gets his point across, and then he gets up and goes. Yeah. Uh, none of us on Zoom had questions for him either on yeah. Saturday or Sunday. It was very much ours. Go do it. Go do his yeah. thing. Um, yeah, and I also, I also think it's worth remembering that, like, this is basically an entirely new group of players that's coming in. And it's a younger group than what we saw last year. Cooley's also he's always had his best seasons when he's got a lot of veterans that he can get to buy in and valuing that mental toughness. And I think this team has showed mental toughness in spurts. They, they've hung mm-hmm. tough in these games and they battle. It's not all the way there yet, but I think they have that quality. Sometimes it just takes a little bit that little bit for that maturity to kick in. It takes a little bit. Like I think we've we've ironed out who the top eight are in this rotation. Oh, absolutely. Now it's whittling down how you balance the playing time there, and they're still figuring that out. Like that is, they do not have the answers there yet. Um, I, mean, I thought Corey Floyd Jr. gave them enough minutes, quality minutes today, to think about maybe bumping him up into that top eight at times, or making it a top nine where he's going to see real stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was limited minutes, but he looked decent in them. No, he did and, look good. Yeah, and it's all right. We're they're still figuring this out. Seems a, a work in progress. Look around all of college basketball right now, and there's a lot of teams dropping games they shouldn't. So big picture, dropping two close games on a neutral site to teams that are good teams, that's not going to matter. At some point, you got to beat good teams. It doesn't have to happen today. They're going to get one more real good look here in the non-conference when they go to TCU, and yep. then you get conference play. So if you win that TCU game, you should go win the Big East play at 11-2. and two. Win at, 10 Big East games, you probably end. At the end of the day, when the selection committee sits down in March and they say, oh, Providence lost by 10 to Miami and by 3 to St. Louis in early, mid-November, that's not going to make a difference because we lost to two tournament teams and we played with yeah. them while playing mediocre basketball. So I think you're right, Matt. Um, work to be done, absolutely, but it's not the end of the world. It sucks and it stings, and ha- having it happen on back-to-back nights at what Cooley calls the Dunk South, 
kind of stinks because it it was filled with fire friends. I can attest to that. A lot Especially of black and white Miami game. Yeah, you could hear not, that loud. Yeah, but you know, it's not the end of the world. It stings. Doesn't feel good. And there's glaring discrepancies and things that need to be worked on. But you do what you're supposed to do the rest of conference play and or the rest of non-conference play, excuse me. Then you go into conference play with a chip on your shoulder. That's all, mm-hmm. that's all you need to do. Everyone thinks of yeah. us as the Asterix cheating reigning champions. So clean house, the rest of conference play, uh, non-conference play, and then you go into conference play and you kick some ass. Yeah, that's the goal here. And it's these are kids, basically, very young adults who are playing this sport. They're going to be inconsistent. There's going to be a learning curve when there's a lot of new guys, and it takes time. That was basically the big message from Cooley in the press conference was, we're not where we need to be, but this is five games in. We're going to work on it. We're going to get better. And I, I have I have faith that they will be better. Better enough to to finish top five in the Big East? I don't know yet. But better by the end of the year, I think they will be. Given the way things are going, I, I don't know who's finishing in the top five of the Big East this year. Let me tell you, this... filling, out those, filling out those power rankings yesterday, law. I have a I have a good idea who like the top three teams are right now. I feel Honestly, good about probably top two at least. I feel good about. I, I was going to say I, top two. I think are clear cut, but after that, the waters are murky. I know top two. I know bottom one. The rest is, <laughs> you know, you, you know the star at the top of the Christmas tree, and you know the tree skirt. But how are the all the all the other ornaments fall in? No idea. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Um, cleaning up a couple things here. First of all, uh, I it was the that Belmont game that was the Kyron Cartwright buzzer beater. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I don't know why I, I was thinking it. I missed that for some assignment. Yeah. Another thing we didn't talk about here, which I think we have to touch on briefly, uh, the officiating in the St. Louis game. The officiating in the whole tournament was not great. I didn't like it in the Miami one either. Oh, it felt weird. Um, But the last minute of the St. Louis game was inexplicable. And in particular, they just called a continuation on that layup. Yeah, they did. You can argue it's a block. You can argue it's a charge. There is no world where the bucket should have counted. No, the only one is the NBA, and this isn't the NBA. No, not, not, not and it, it, inexplicable. It what should have happened? He should have gotten two free throws, and the Friars get the ball. The worst case for Providence, there should have been a tie game, and I don't think they ran their set at the end there very well. I don't think they were very organized. The fact that they called a timeout, tried to run stuff, had to call another timeout, yeah. I think says a lot about where they are on offense. The Friars lost this game, but. The refs did not call it as fairly as it should have. I mean, they blew that call. And no, it's Providence's fault for letting it get that close. It's the refs' fault for making that bad call. You and I will will hang our hat on this that we will never ever blame a loss on poor officiating. But damn, tonight's officials did not help the cause. Not even they didn't. Not even close. And what upsets me about officiating is you look at a guy like Ed Cooley, who in the post-game press conference, like we got screwed on some of those calls. He's still tipping his cap to the refs. Meanwhile, you have uh, Travis Ford, and this isn't something that was seen on the broadcast, got on his hands and knees at midcourt and held a towel in his mouth at the refs after one of the plays, like a dog. I'm not kidding. Do you ask anyone that was in the arena tonight so the weird. St. Louis coach, Travis Ford, did that on the court. And Providence fans that were a few sections behind me were screaming at him, hey, go lay on the ground again. Like, <laughs> you have a man, a full-grown man acting like that. And then he starts getting calls versus Cooley. Like, there, there's a reason it's yeah. called working the refs. Like, Jay Wright used yeah. to be really good at it. Like, like it or not, Dan Hurley is actually usually pretty good at it, too. A very different strategy at it, but he's usually pretty good at it. <laughs> Except for when he calls them out in the post-game press conference and gets reprimanded by the con- by the Big East. Still one of the funniest moments in Big East history since I've been covering this stuff is get- getting an immediate email that was a immediate- notice of <laughs> a, a censure of Dan Early. The conference would, would like to stand. We don't stand by Dan Early's comments. That was great. Oh, he- oh still. Oh. That was fantastic. Yep. 
um, we did have one more conversation we wanted to have on here, which we said we weren't, we weren't going to have until the podcast. Uh, Friars debuting two new uniforms this tournament. Uh, All right, we let's got get into it. Saturday, we see gray uniforms with black trim, black numbers, and the Friar head on the front. Sunday, we see the black uniforms with white trim, white numbers, gray outlines on the numbers. And was it Providence written on the front? I'm assuming not, not yeah, prior. It's the in, it's the inverse of the white. Yeah. Let me tell you, I have never and will never be a fan of a logo on the front of a basketball uniform because when I see a logo on the front of a basketball uniform, that to me always says practice jersey. It's a penny. I have I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> this is my old thing. It's actually my dad's old one. It's like a reversible Flyers penny. I have one of the those 90s, too. One of the black and white ones, and I'm pretty sure that has the Firehead logo on the front. And that's that's all I can think of the entire time on Saturday. I, I love the gray uniforms outside of that, except I wish they had the white outline on the numbers. That's my only critique. No, I agree. The entire the time I'm looking one. at it. What was that? I agree because the old gray had the white outline. Yeah, and it's weird. It's at least, unless it looks bad in the pictures or something, but it looks like a black it looks like black numbers with gray outlines. So it looks like the same numbers that they have for the white home uniforms, not different numbers. So yeah. just those stitched onto a gray jersey, and it looks kind of weird to have an outline the same color of what's underneath it, but that's a whole... I just... That was like... I, I cannot get over... And the logo being, like, the same size as the numbers, too, really adds to that, where it just looks to me, like, unbalanced. Is it my turn now? Okay. Yeah. I, so I like the jerseys. I have basically the complete opposite opinion of you on this, Matt. <laughs> there was, I forget, it, it might have been 2020. Arkansas debuted the jerseys with the, the Razorback. I remember us having this conversation. And I tweeted at PC Athletics that a gray alternate with the fryer head and the number underneath would look fantastic. I think you're right. I think the number to logo ratio is too similar. The number should be smaller on the front. If yeah. they were, if... If they were, I know you don't like it. I think you don't think it's a successful pull off. I think it is a successful pull off. If it was to be perfect, that number would be smaller. I think that's they screwed up on that ratio. But I love the fryer head on the on the front. I I think that is a great move. See, I think part of my issue too is that like the standard ratio for a basketball uniform is that you have something wide with a small number underneath it. Mm-hmm. So I think if the fryers had a wider logo it would look better. Like if they use the version of the fryer head that has like the word mark the and words. stuff on it, which I don't even know if they use anymore. That might be, that's I think a, that's outdated. Has been that's not the primary logo anymore. No, I don't know if they use it at all. They but, don't, they uh, got rid of it. Yeah, if they still had that though, I think that would look better because you're going to end up with something wider with the number underneath. Mm-hmm. And like I, there's, there's one uniform in basketball that I think gets away with this whole thing. And it's the golden state warriors ones, uh, because they found a way to fit the number into the circle logo on the front in a way that looks good. Okay. That's fair. I, I, I mean, I, I see both sides to the argument personally, this is something that I literally tweeted at them and I'm going to find that tweet and resurface it. So <laughs> I, yeah. So I guys, t- if you don't like uniforms, you can personally blame Joe. <laughs> Do it. I, I want all the credit for these uniforms. I basically came up with the idea. In fact, I'm send, I'm going to send PC Athletics an email. I want uh, compensation for this IP. Yeah. Um, no, I'm only kidding. Um, I do Unless think they the want to pay you, in which you're not kidding at all. Oh, no. If, if they want to pay me, I'm not at all kidding. I would love the extra money. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, in all seriousness, I I don't think the picture that they tweeted out did the, the uniforms justice. Um because no, they the look worse pictures than the uniforms actually looked. I thought they looked better on yeah. the court than they did in the photo. Yeah, the the gray is much more prominent when you see it in person. It's just a weird lighting in the picture. I don't know what it was. Um, but I do think we both agree, agree on this, Matt. It's that the black uniform, which is the same version the of the white, but the colors are inverse. I think is that's the best uniform they've unveiled in a long time. Maybe up yeah, there with the, the black throwbacks. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, my, my only concern with it is that it might be too similar to the throwbacks in that you might not need both, but um, it looks really good. The white pops off it really well. It does. Uh, it really does. I did. It did briefly feel like I was watching a Butler game with the black uniform with like white trim on it. 
because um, mm-hmm. they used to do that for their they road to... ones and like with, with all the white up on the shoulder butler does that so i briefly briefly felt like i was watching a butler game uh but once i got past that and got used to it really really sharp really really we walked we walked into the arena and we were a few minutes late um so for at the concessions they have tvs with the game on and my brother uh, and my cousin Brady, who was with us too, looked at the TV. They said, "Oh, we're wearing the throwbacks already." So I think you're right. They do look like the throwbacks at first glance, which I think is a it's little in- concerning. Yeah, but it's intentional too because it's yeah. The design of this uniform is basically a modernized version of the throwback, where they take like the double stripe stripe motif mm-hmm. and they just like play with it a little bit in different places yeah. all over the uniform, which I enjoy. There's a part of me that wishes instead of that they just took the throwbacks and modernized them a little bit like if they unveiled this uniform but without like the tapered stripe like if they they took the throwback and just threw the like modern word mark on it i might like that more um see i don't know i i honestly, I, so I just like the throw i the throwback is my favorite uniform and i might just they are my favorite i'm <laughs> i think they're keeping them because a lot of the promotional stuff they put out have they've used the oh, throwbacks oh. What I mean is that I might just wish they wore the black uniforms as their primary road uniforms. And oh, agreed. Just, uh, th- just, just wear that uniform every time you're away from home. There's something about the rounded providence in the in the traditional letter. It's just it, – that the is the letters. nicest. It's the so, shorts, the trim. They just the, – the, everything I, they did with the throwbacks was like chef's kiss. Like they did it I, perfect. Yeah. I whipped up a concept once, which I texted you at one point. This is back during COVID. So it's been a while. I'll have to yeah. see if oh, I, can... I remember this. Yeah. And it basically take that that black and white th- road throwback and then have a home Put... version of it that says Friars on the front. And basically, um, I think I had a similar striping to the black and yellow one. But yeah. instead of yellow, put the silver on it at home. So you're black, white on the road, black, white, and gray at home. And then you can have a gray version of that too as an alternate. And then you can have a version where on the home one, you replace the gray with the pink. And yep. you have a version where you replace it with the yellow if you want to go with that throwback too. And it gives you some flexibility with kind of that classic look. Uh, that's still the ideal for me. But what they have right now is very good. Some of the better uniforms in uh, college basketball. Or the biggest. I agree. I, what I am curious about is um i did they is this a custom uniform or is this a template because i think the last ones were some kind of a template and part of me wonders if now that they got a sweet 16 if they got an upgrade from nike and that's why they got something a little bit fancier this year i was gonna say i think that is correct because last year they had the 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 same run-of-the-mill providence uniforms and then after that, you know, they obviously they had the two throwbacks. They had the throwback home and the throwback black. It looks like they're they're getting a little bit more creative integrity with these. Um, yeah. So I think you're right. I think Cooley winning, and this goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the season. You know, Providence getting national recognition last season has put them on the map a little bit more with respect to college basketball and like the just the swag that comes with it. So I think like you're going to see like they're getting some cooler gear, cooler uniforms. You know. They're going to start maybe not tonight, but maybe some calls will start bouncing our way the same way they do for Villanova and UConn, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the key, uh, one of the things I've always really enjoyed and envied is if you win a national championship and you're in Nike school, you get the gold tag on your uniform that Ugh. Villanova has up on the back. So that's, that's kind of the next step there is Would love that. we got to get that at point. You get it some way. You got to have the gold tag. Speaking of uniforms and merch, and you get, uh, you get, yeah, you can get some flex stuff if you'd like it. Joe, you want to you plug that? Yeah, so for uh, for all you flex faithful that have been with us through the ride, stores up. Uh, the link is in our link tree, which is tagged in our Twitter and our Instagram. If you don't have social media, you can go to houseenterprise.com. Check out the merch House tab. We are enterprise.com, yes. House-Enterprise, thank you, Matt.com. Hit the merch tab. We have t-shirts, polos, hats, vests, you name it. Um, if you want to get this stuff in before the holidays, before December 24th, uh, got to do it by Black Friday this Friday, or else it won't be in it here in time. I personally, I am spending all of my money on that website because that's my Christmas shopping this year. Going to be checking off and boxes I know I- with that. 
I think I think we're gonna have a couple new things coming up in the next couple days on there. Um, I've had computer <laughs> issues, so <laughs> I've been trying to get some files over to Joe for about a week now, and he's been asking me. And between lo- looking through hard drives, looking for these files, and having to send my computer over to the shop for a repair, it hasn't happened yet. Do you have the files actually, for you now, though? So I'm gonna be able to get them to you after this. I actually fixed the logo on Photoshop the other day and sent it to oh to Will. So. I forgot wow. to tell you that. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll make that easier. I can send you a yeah. cleaner version too. So we'll figure that out. There's, cool. there's merch on there. Definitely yep. go check that out. Uh, anything you buy, uh, we would appreciate that. It'll help us out. So yeah, uh, yeah, we, we appreciate that. I don't think we're doing a, a, an episode this week during Thanksgiving. I want to be away with family. So I think we're going to go next weekend before our next one. Does that sound yeah. about right? Just take yeah. the time. Uh, it's who will be playing on Wednesday. Yeah. So Wednesday, the Friars are going to get Merrimack. It's a seven o'clock game there on FS2, night before Thanksgiving. And then on Saturday, they get the 4 p.m. game against Columbia on FS2. Both of these teams are outside the top 300 on Ken Palm. There isn't a whole lot to say about these games other than that the Friars need to win them and probably be in a pretty convincing fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about expectations going into this weekend, and I, I said – you want to come out one and one, or you want to at least compete if you come out zero and two. We hit the ladder. Expectations for Thanksgiving week is you beat these opponents and you blow the doors off of them, especially just considering what happened and the tune-up that's needed. You blow the doors yeah. off these teams. Yeah. After those two, they're heading down to Texas for the Big East Big Twelve battle. There, they're going to face a TCU team that is. In an interesting spot right now. We're gonna have more on that later. I know we did. I did that little opposition research on Miami. Hopefully, we can get one of those for TCU for you guys. You can hear from somebody down there and get to know that school a little bit better before that game and what to expect. I'll yep. also say here with the holidays coming up, if you want to watch a lot of basketball this week, a lot of tournaments. I have an article up on the site right now that lists all of the Big East teams, the events they play in, and when they could play, who they could play which was a, it's a pain to get all that information. So I put it all yeah. in one place. For you. If you want to look at stuff, there's some really good games this week. Uh, this is Sunday that we're recording this. I know tomorrow is Creighton against Texas Tech in the That's afternoon. Yeah, I might, I'm, I'm going to have to have that on my other screen here while I'm working. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to do that. <laughs> yep. PK85 at the end of the week, which has some really good stuff. Three Big East teams playing at that event. Maui Invitational this week. St. John's and Marquette are in a pair of interesting ones. And, and somehow at this point, uh, the only Big East team with a tournament win, in-season tournament win, is Georgetown. Oh, the irony. you got to extend Patrick Ewing, I think. You know, you know what, though? Patrick Ewing went into his contract negotiation today and said that, and they extended him for another 14 years. So he's not going anywhere, guys. And, every, and everybody was thrilled about that. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's going to do it for us on this one. Um, have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And uh, see you next Sunday, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be traveling from, on Saturday. Week from today. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a good week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's Joe Howie. I'm Matt St. G. And follow us on Twitter. And we are gonna see you next time.